Last week we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, and we are in the middle of a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and I have to tell you I'm excited about it. I, am, I left last week uh, with my heart broken, seeing the things that I had to work on. I made change based on the sermon last week. I don't know if you know that the preacher is preaching to himself also doesn't mean because I'm preaching it, I got it figured out. There's things that we're working on together. Last week, we looked at the fruit, and we saw that this fruit that God wants to give us is something that every one of us wants to have. Every one of us wants that fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week. This week, one way to say it is we're, we're talking about how do we get it, or why don't I have it? Why am I struggling? Why do I struggle with all these things that are not the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the flesh. If this is a work of God, then God, why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing this in my heart? Why aren't you giving me love and joy and peace and patience and all of these characteristics, these Christian, Christ-centered characteristics? Why don't I have them more? Well, this week we look at how can a Christian harvest healthy fruit? Jesus said this in John 15, 5, to his friends on the night before he died, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What did he mean, apart from me, you can do nothing? Did he mean apart from me, you can't brush your teeth, you can't mow the lawn? What did he mean? The truth is, is that apart from Christ, we truly can't brush our teeth and mow the lawn because he's our creator and he gave us those skills. But he's not talking about that in this situation. He's talking about bearing fruit. He's talking about the expectation was when Jesus left is that his followers would bear fruit, that they would abide in Christ. Matthew 7, 17 through 20 speaks this, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Recognize who? Who's Jesus talking about? Christians. He's talking about Christians who are in leadership. You're going to recognize the leaders, you're going to recognize Christians by the fruit that they have, by the way that they have godly fruit, the character of Christ. The expectation is that we would bear fruit. So it begs the question, why aren't we bearing healthy fruit? What's going on? Well, I had an old truck, and if John Mosby's watching online, he will remember this old truck because he's part of the miracle of it. And as the sermon goes on, later on I'll tell you about some of the miracle. But the second time that I owned this truck, after John was done with it and made it run smoothly, it was a four-cylinder four diesel uh, Toyota pickup. Toyota, for a little while, made four-cylinder diesels. And uh, I drove this four-cylinder diesel truly into the ground. And if you know anything about diesels, when it's cold, they need to warm up before you can start them. 
And by the end, when it was on its last tire, I lived on a hill, and I'm sure my neighbors loved me for this. I would park it pointing down the hill at night, and I would get in there, and I would push that truck until it started going. I would jump in, and I would pop the clutch. And that's how I got to work. That's how I started. And I did that throughout the last winter or two that I had that truck. Eventually, it died, and that was the end of it. And there's more miracles to be had about that. I mean, God worked a miracle with this truck. I just wish he would have worked a miracle with a prettier truck. But this was my miracle. It had a wood bumper that John put on um, because the bumper had fallen off, and uh, it you know, blew as much smoke as anything when, we, when you were driving it. It was a mess. But there was a joint effort that happened with that truck that was essential. If I would have gotten in the truck and just expected it to start, it wasn't going to happen. I needed to get in. I needed to put it in neutral. I needed to start pushing, and I needed to make sure I got around and into my spot before it got too fast for me to catch up, which could happen. But there was faith happening. There was action on my part, but there was faith. What was the faith? The faith was that if I get in and pop the clutch, this is going to start. Because you know what happens if I get to the bottom of the hill and it doesn't? I can't push it back up. It's time to call the tow truck and the truck is done. That's it. I'm done. It is truly on its last leg. And it got, as God would have it, it lasted for over a year doing that. I'd get in there, pop the clutch, and off I'd go. That's very much like what it means to walk in the Spirit or by the Spirit, that we have a part that we are exerting energy. But if we ever get to the place where we think that we can get to work pushing the car by ourselves, come on, kidding yourself. We desperately need God to do what God does. When He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing, apart from me, this you're not getting to work. Apart from me, you are not going anywhere in this vehicle. In this life, this Christian life, it is powered by the Holy Spirit. And yet, we're the ones that don't show up. And we're the ones that don't believe. And we're the ones that build by ourselves. And we're the ones that move beyond the Spirit or the expectation. Some of us have even lost hope that God's going to do something new in us. We say this is just as good as it gets. It'll get fixed when Jesus gets back. This week, how can we harvest healthy fruit? We are going to look at three essential qualities, critical qualities that you need to harvest a healthy crop. The first is faith. Faith is essential. And I'm going to do this a little differently than you might think because it's so important that we get this right. There are so many Christians, all of us, I think, at some point slip into, some of us live in this lane where we feel like we need to produce for God and we work harder and we work harder and yet we're, there's this underlying anger and frustration in this thing that we're doing for God. It's this effort that we're doing for God but not with God. Faith says... I can't do this without God. Now, that's a common thing you hear in the church. But yet somewhere along the line, I heard churches start to say, can you do your whole service if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up? 
I mean, have you gotten so used to preaching a sermon, Todd, in the beginning you were scared to death and you know you needed God, but have you gotten used to preaching that you feel like you can get up there and you don't have to pray before you get up there? Or am I in desperate need of the Spirit helping me preach today as I was the first time that I preached? The answer is yes. We aren't afraid about what God's about to do with the bridge because God has been faithful all along and we know he'll be faithful again. We may not know what he's about to do, but that's okay. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So getting this first point right is essential. Otherwise, people might leave here and think, I need to just try harder. Or even worse, you say to your spouse or kids, you need to try harder. I'm not saying that. Trying is coming. We're getting that in the second point, but we got to get this first point right. It's about faith. In Galatians 2, 15 and 16, it says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That seems a little strange to us, but you could basically say if somebody didn't grow up in a Christian family and somebody did grow up in a Christian family, I grew up in a Christian family, which gives me a leg up. So I, had, I grew up in a Christian family and it was modeled for me and I saw what it meant to be Christian in your marriage and in your work and I saw those things they were modeled for me but maybe somebody else didn't and the, the Gentiles they called sinners and yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith it doesn't matter your starting point it doesn't matter how good you are it doesn't matter sorry for those of you who are like goody two-shoe people that get A's and follow all the rules but you can't please God without faith you can't be good enough. And until you get over that, you're never going to walk with the Spirit as you should. And some people spend their whole lives trying to be worthy of salvation and of the grace we've received. Give it up. I don't care if you're Paul the Apostle or if you have sinned every moment of your life and are failure by everybody else's standards, we come to the cross as equals requiring grace. And if you miss this, if not, we're just, it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Walking in the Spirit and, and receiving that and bearing that fruit and having that fruit grow in you that changes your relationships, changes your very heart, that miraculous Christian life is available to you, but the entrance point is faith. You come by faith. You can't earn fruit. The, the, the tree that is not a fruit tree cannot say, I'm going to try really hard to be an apple tree now. It's not how it works. It's all in the design of the creator and the recreator. Jesus gives us new life and his righteousness, and it's by faith that we receive this righteousness. We will be justified not by the works of the law, but by faith. That's what Galatians 2, 15 and 16 says. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Look at the cost 
that was paid for our righteousness so that we could grow and bear fruit, so that we could be part of his family, so that we could be justified and sanctified and one day glorified. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. The one who never failed, he made him to actually, his identity now is sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' identity becomes sin so that our identity becomes righteousness. Well, you might feel like, well, Todd, I thought, I thought we were talking about bearing fruit. seems like you're talking about salvation. Now, this is about bearing fruit. First, you can't bear fruit unless you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit. But then once you have the Holy Spirit, if you forget, if you walk away and think that you can stand, think that you can produce, think that you can have part of this life be sinful and expect the other part of your life to flourish, you're wrong. Our identity now is the righteousness of God because Christ became sin for us. That's who we are. That's who we were meant to be. You may feel like, well, I'm with you, Todd, but I still am not bearing the fruit that I would like. I still lack patience. Oh, give me patience, Father, or self-control. Where's my self-control, Father? Hebrews 11.6. In Hebrews 11.6, it says simply, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In Hebrews 11, if you know anything about it, it is flush with stories from the Old Testament of people who lived by faith. And what does it mean to live by faith? Well, they obeyed. They acted out on their faith. They took chances. They stepped out. They, they took a chance in believing that God would be there when they stepped. Abraham believed God. Noah believed God. Sarah believed God. Rahab believed God. And as the stories come again and again, faith became action, became life change. It seems that there's a misconception that some people think that, yes, you're saved by grace alone and you're saved by faith alone and I don't have to work for my salvation. And then some people put it into neutral and think, that's it, I'm done. I've been justified. I've got a clean bill of health. And yet your faith, your saving faith is put on display by what happens next. You want to bear fruit? Believe. You want to have a life that is marked by the power of God instead of floundering? Step out and trust God. What does that look like? That looks like loving your enemy. That looks like forgiving the one you don't want to forgive. That looks like trusting 
I mean, it's scary stuff. I mean, who's going to defend me if I don't defend myself? I need to defend myself. I need to meet anger with anger. I need to meet frustration with frustration. If I step out blindly and just trust that Jesus is going to take care of me, if I give forgiveness and kindness and love, even when I don't get it in return, and the promise is that the Spirit of God will flood your soul, what he won't do is flood your soul when you're doubting him and don't believe him and Hold on to your own self-protection and say, I know God's out there. I know Jesus loves me, but I need to protect me. I need to fight for me. I need to cheat to get ahead. I need to lie to get ahead. I need to make some, cut some corners, and I'm going to cut these corners. The beginning of fruit is faith. It's about what you really believe. Because when you choose to sin, I'm not saying when you sin by omission, when you you didn't even know it came up and it welled up from within. When you choose sin, you're saying what you believe. I don't believe that Jesus can really handle this. I don't believe that Jesus can fix this. I don't believe Jesus' plan is best. I believe my plan is better. I've got it figured out. I know God will forgive me at the end of it. I'm going to go this way. And then we say, why doesn't God bless me? Why am I not filled with fruit? What do you believe? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you were to go on in Ephesians, you would find out that we are his workmanship, created to do good works. What is, how do these two verses stand right next to each other? That we are supposed to be producing good works, and yet... We are by faith alone that it's a gift of God. The truth is the gift of God, the grace of God manifests itself in our salvation then and our salvation now. And when we are saved then, it produces fruit now. What kind of fruit? How much fruit? This is such an important point. Look at James 2, 17 and 18. In James 2, 17 and 18, I confess as a young man, I read this and my heart was so troubled. My heart was so broken because I thought, I thought it was saved by grace. What do you mean I have to, how much works do I have to do to be saved? How much, how much good things do I have to do for my faith to be real? In James 2, 17 and 18, it says, so also by faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. What? What happened to the fire insurance plan where I say a prayer and I can live how I want for the rest of my life? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's not, saying, he's not disagreeing with the things that we just read about salvation coming through faith. He's not diminishing faith. He's actually making faith more prominent. He's saying, if it's faith, you'll act on it. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, then it will affect the next thing you're about to do. If I believe that Dave Norbeck is my friend, but I never spend time with him and I never 
engage in a relationship with him, at some point he's going to say, are you really my friend? Your actions do not match what you're saying. Our job is not to be just a little better than the world around us. Our job is to not just survive till Jesus returns. Our job is to flourish. Our job is to grow. What's wrong with the plan? I mean, if you're struggling and the character of Christ is not flowing from you and you're losing hope, it wasn't Jesus that walked away. It wasn't the plan. The the Holy Spirit, the power of God is sufficient. Every time you get in the truck and push it and jump in, spiritually speaking, it will start and get you to the destination that God chose for you. We don't know what God's doing with the bridge right now. We don't, I mean, it's, if I, if I, if I was, if I thought that it was human-led, I would be scared. I'd be nervous. But we choose to believe. God is the one who builds his church. God is the one who is at work in us. God is the one who is doing something. You know, we've we've only gone up in our numbers until COVID, and now we don't know who we are anymore. And as a pastor, I don't know what to do with that. So then you get your in your little, you know, you get together with pastors. Our church is growing, and I'd like hang my head. I don't know where our church is right now. I do know where our church is right now. It's in God's hands. And we can trust him. We don't have to worry. Faith decides to believe again and again. It isn't that faith isn't challenged, but faith is challenged in such a way in our lives where we're declaring what we believe by what we do. This first point is, can be the difference between life and death for a church and for individuals, spiritually speaking. If, we, if you hear from me, I need to go out and produce good works to be saved. You will never please God that way. You might please people. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. And if you also heard from me some way that I can just have faith and, you know, I remember on a TV show when I was a kid, girlfriend asking the question of the boyfriend, I know I was wrong. What's the absolute least I have to grovel to get you back? Some of us might say, what's the least I have to do to stay in God's good graces? Well, it's the wrong question if you want a healthy harvest, if you want to bear fruit, if you want a life that is marked by the power of God, you're going to have to believe. And that comes with surrender. Faith in Christ is critical for a healthy harvest. Obedience to Christ is critical for a healthy harvest. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. I'm going to return to this a couple times through this point. 
2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things are at play here. Two major powers are at play here that will affect our future and result every time in Jesus being glorified in our lives and us being glorified in Christ. This is the promise of these two verses, that our lives will be used to glorify Christ. And that one day we will share in the glory of Christ. And what's the picture? It's that our story being written right now is first around the grace of God and the power of God. To this end, we always pray. It starts with prayer. Why are they praying? Because they believe God is the one who's doing this. They believe that God is the power that produces healthy character, that produces this healthy fruit. So they start with prayer that God may make you worthy. We're not naturally worthy of our calling. God is the one who makes us worthy of our calling. It's it's an act of God. But I love what follows. And may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. That's the pushing. Every resolve for good. Every time that you take that leap and you step out and say, I'm going to, I'm going to bring something over for my neighbors, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I heard there's somebody that's struggling in the church. I'm going to bring them something, or I'm going to reach out with a call, or I'm going to be first to make a step towards reconciliation. There's something that's happening in my family, and I want to make sure this is okay. I'm going to reach out and make sure it's okay. Every resolve of goodness that's coming up in your heart, it's God, they're praying that God would Bless that, that God would, and we understand that's what's happening. I'm not going out to do something good in my own power. I don't leave in the morning and say, okay, I got my quiet time in. I'm now going to head out, and I'm going to do all kinds of good, and then when I need to be refueled, I'll go home and spend time with God. No, it's God and me going through the day, and everything that I do becomes worship. And every, You have the opportunity, whether it's gardening, whether it's teaching, Raising kids, being a nurse, in your office, every moment you can be on assignment with God doing good. And we know that at every moment, there are challenges that follow. The evil one, our own desires, fears, anxiety, things that make us grab the reins and say, no, I've What I need to do is to shut this Toyota off right now and push for a while. Then I can really get some more. That's what it looks like when you don't obey. As we look at 1st, 2nd Thessalonians and then on to John, back to John 15 where we were, I want you to know that faith is what accomplishes good in us. And it's the power of God that accomplishes good in us but there should be nothing that we aspire to higher than to walk with our God. And there should be nothing that we work harder for than to live righteously in Christ. And it shouldn't be, look what I did. It should be, look what God did in me and through me. 
I've heard this. I think this is the thing we get wrong the most. I think people have stopped believing that God can do something new in them. This is as good as it gets. And that's a faith issue. And I think people have decided to stop obeying. You've asked too much of me. I will not forgive here. You may not say it like that to God, but you're saying it like that to him with your actions. I'm going to choose to hold this sin, this anger, this envy, this jealousy, this divisiveness. I'm going to nurture it and I'm going to work it out that somebody else gets blamed for it and no one will ever know it was me. I'm going to go to church and hide and pretend everything's great. But actually, I'm nurturing sin. Obedience is required in John 15, 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you see the starting point of this? Obedience is not a beat down. It is not go do work for me. Work, 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 work. This is about a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about being in communion with Christ. It is not about I'm going to do these 10 things on my list and when I check them off, I'm going to get an A from God. This is about walking through life with the power of the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. It's about freedom. It's about love. It's about Legalism is about beatdown. A relationship with Jesus Christ, what he designed us to have is building us up so that we become who we were meant to be. Obedience doesn't have negative connotations. It is positive connotations. This is in the context of love. He says, abide in my love, live in my love all day long. From the time that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, abide in the love of Christ. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And what's the first commandment? Love each other. And it flows from there. And some of you who are doers are going to want to know what's the short list? What are the top 10? Tell me what the things I need to do. Just, I think he's just saying right now, work on love. Trust my love, stay in my love, and abide in my love. And my commandments will be found in that love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Well, how can that be? We're on a, we're, this is about obedience. Who here has ever liked obedience? Who has ever gotten a command from their parents and said, yippee, I get to mow the lawn. And yet our joy, our spiritual joy is found in a relationship with God and in this faith obedience to him. And our obedience, our obedience should be tenacious. It shouldn't be hindered by the fact that faith is what brought us into our relationship with him. In fact, because it's about faith and love and joy, we should do it with abandon. Our faith should grow and our obedience should grow. It should be our greatest delight to obey Christ, to give up our rights for Christ. 
to love Christ because he loved us first and gave up his rights for us and he became sin for us. How can, we, how can any of us look in Christ's eyes? It's in relationship with him. And as we look in Christ's eyes, all of us would want to love him and serve him, right? How do we get off track? Why do we stop obeying? Look again at verse 11 in 2 Thessalonians 1. It is God who is going to make you worthy of his calling. God's the one who's doing this. This is not a pump you up coach story, get out there and try harder, kids. This is trust harder. Trust with your life and your actions. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound like once saved, I can relax and that's the end of it. You can rest. You don't need to be worried that God's going to take away his salvation. God is the one who saved you. He will bring it to completion. He will end this work. He will bring us home. We can trust him. But I want you to know that it's right alongside of that faith that he's going to bring us home is that we are working out this gospel story into our lives. What does it look like? How do I respond to Christ's forgiveness? Okay, I forgive. How do I respond to Christ's love? Okay, I love. How do I respond to the fact that Christ pursued me? I pursue others. How do I respond that Christ wanted to be in community with me? I'm in community with others. And we devalue the things that Christ valued in us, and then we ask God to bless us. I'm going to be a Christian out in the woods by myself. I don't really like people. I certainly don't like Christians, and I want to be a Christian all by myself. That's my plan. Well, how about we enact that plan before Christ chooses you? The idea is that we are Christian and that we work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Not the fear and trembling that says, oh no, I might not be saved. I will never stand up here and ask you to question your salvation or, or doubt your faith. I want you to believe more. But at the same time, I don't want you to believe that faith is like a transaction, like signing a contract. Once signed, I have a trust. I signed the trust. I don't think about it anymore. Maybe once every 10 years, I'll revisit it. And then I think about it. And then I'll think about it anymore. That is not what it means to be in a relationship with anybody, let alone God. Why are we not bearing more fruit? It has to do with what you believe and it has to do with the tenacity of your obedience that's expressing your faith. Finally, faith in Christ is critical for a healthy harvest. Obedience to Christ is critical for a healthy harvest. Focus on Christ is critical for a healthy harvest. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One of my favorite wedding passages to preach is Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. It's the character of Christ. It's the fruit that we all want. Every marriage wants this fruit. Every relationship wants this fruit. What's the fruit? Look at Colossians 3.12. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you, and love binds everything together. It's a really great thing to preach at a wedding. It's fun. How do they get it? How do you get the fruit? How many Christian marriages don't have those things? How many Christian churches don't have those things? That should be spilling over in us. Well, I think the how is here in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. How do you set your mind on something? Well, everybody in this room knows what it is to set your mind on something. A car, a house, a vacation. Everybody has it playing in the back of their mind. They get to work and they can't get it off their mind. They're like, people have it on their screensavers now. There's my car. That's the dream car. It's right there. And they set their minds. What's your mind set on? What are you hoping for? Where's your vision? Do you even want? I mean, I know we all want a healthy relationship with God, and we, I know we all want to bear fruit, right? That's what we want. But where's your focus? Is it on your stuff? Do you flip to your 401k and see how it's doing again and again and again? Watch it grow. Look at the stocks. Where's your heart? When it came time to come back together as a church, I longed to be with you. For those of you who haven't come back, I have longed to be with you. I do not want to preach ever again to a camera alone. And geese. Camera and geese. What do you long for? Do you really long for your relationship with Christ? Do you long to see him one day? Do you spend time with him in the day and you can't wait to get back to him? I remember one moment in my life where God answered a prayer. I sprinted home to get back. I mean, I'm a high schooler. I sprinted home to get back into my, by my bed where my children's Bible was so I could open it up and be with my Savior. What do you long for? Who do you love? I mean, really. Junior hires, being in youth ministry, junior hires have a pretty clear understanding when people love them, usually measured in time. Have you spent time with me? You can lavish gifts. What have you, have you shown up lately and been with me? Have you listened to me? Have you heard me? 
This isn't brain surgery. Set our minds on Christ and our relationship with Christ. Do you want to flourish? Do you want Christ to be glorified in your life? And do you want to be glorified in Christ? Set your mind on Christ. Fix it on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The things on earth will fail you. Whatever you list as something that would be more important to you than your relationship with Christ will let you down. All I need is a girlfriend. No, you don't. You need Jesus. Girlfriend, you might want that too, but I'm telling you, you need Jesus. All I need is a new car. All I need is a vacation. All I need is a new job. Yeah, you may need those things, but that's not all you need, and that's not even near the top. You need Jesus. And then he promised rivers of living water would flow from within you. Anybody felt that lately? The power of God from within preceding you, reminding you of Scripture, which is what we'll look at next week, the power of the Scripture and the Spirit. Bringing things to mind, giving you grace, forgiving you, encouraging you, building you back up, helping you. Have you not had the Spirit of God well up from within you? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's everything I just described in Hebrews 11, all those people that who by faith lived out their lives. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Is this in some way nullifying faith? No, absolutely not. It's in faith. That was what chapter 11 was all about. It is by faith that we please God. And now run. Run as if your spiritual life depends on it. Work through your salvation with fear and trembling. Stop giving God your worst and your leftovers. And then look up to heaven and say, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you fix it? And I think his response would be, I love you so much that I'm going to keep drawing you back into me. I'm not going to give you this until you come to me. And you trust me as your Lord and Savior. So we are to lay aside every weight. For a runner, you can imagine that. And sin which clings so closely, like the skirts of a, the men would wear at the time that entangle you. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Don't give up. We have members of our congregation who have walked with Jesus for a long, long time. And I will tell you there are a new set of challenges for people who have walked with Jesus for a really long time. As they get older, as their abilities diminish, and yet this is what it means to finish well with Jesus. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. This, for most of us, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Which means we get up in the morning and we decide, we choose to trust Jesus, obey Jesus, and fix our eyes on Jesus. And get rid of stuff that causes us to not run. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Jesus modeled what it means to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus modeled what it means to focus on the prize, to focus first on the cross and then on glory with his father. Then he described it earlier in this loving relationship with his father. He lived his, relation, his life with God, with his father. He prayed. He got a way to pray. It was that important. He focused on what the prize was, where God wanted him to go, and he went there with his father and completed the work. And he's now calling us to do the same. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, to focus on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who bought us. He's the one who sealed us. He's the one who was glorified in our lives when we fix our eyes on him. And he is the one who will glorify us with him one day. And I don't want any of you to get there and be underachievers, be also rands, be people that were great at 10 other things and didn't have time to be great at being a Christian. You should be great at other things in the context of being great at being a Christian. Matthew 4, 28 through 31 describes Peter's experience with Jesus that I think captures the relationship. Probably this is where I want you resonating as we close out the sermon. This is so personal to Jesus. You're personal to Jesus. Your story. He's holding out his hand. This is what Matthew 14, 28 to 31, they're out on the they're out on the uh, Sea of Galilee, and there's been a storm, and Jesus is walking across the water, and Peter, in Peter fashion, says what he says. So look at me at verses 28 to 31. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. How's that for faith and action? Who wanted to be first to say that? I'd rather be second or third, personally. Let me see Peter do it first and see how it goes for him. But Peter jumps in and says, I'm, can I come? Which is an interesting way to discover what God wants. The expectation is that Jesus would do what was best for Peter. Do you hear the faith in even Peter's question? Command me. Tell me what to do. Command me to come to you on the water. Command me to quit my job. Command me to stay. Command me to obey. Tell me what to do. I trust that you know what's best for me and you have my best interests at heart. How did Peter know that? Peter knew it because he was his friend. Peter had walked with him. Your faith will grow as you walk with Jesus and trust him. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Cool story, right? If I was Peter, I would really like them to stop the story right there. But what happens next is so important for all of us. It speaks to Christ's heart. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I don't see any failure in verse 30. I see humanity. I see our stories. Everyone here could say, but it's hard to trust Jesus in a storm. It's hard to believe that he has it. it. I'm just so filled with anxiety and struggles right now. How can I trust 
that God will protect me if I risk trusting him. And how glad am I that Peter wasn't chastised by Jesus. First of all, he cries out, Lord, save me. He sees that he's sinking, and I think, I imagine that many of us came here today sinking. Not feeling like they're close to walking with Christ. And I would just say you've come to the right place. We're not here to judge you. We're here to encourage each other. I started off the sermon telling you that I'm preaching to me first. I want a closer walk with Christ. I want to flourish. Save us, Lord. We're sinking. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Can you see it? Can you see it in your life, in your story? Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Affirming that faith is critical to all of this. If you miss faith, the rest of the sermon means nothing. I want us to flourish. I believe that when the Spirit is powerfully at work in any one of us, young or old, and I think he particularly likes when we come together and follow him. I believe when the Spirit is powerfully at work among us, every promise comes true. He never lets us sink. Will we suffer? Well, I believe that's promised to us, just so you know. You're going to suffer. The question is, is your suffering going to count for glory? Or is your suffering going to be worthless? May your suffering, my wish, is may your life count for glory. And may our church count for glory. Let's pray to that end as we close. Heavenly Father, apart from faith in you, apart from you working in our lives, apart from you doing something new and Apart from you saving us as we sink, we have no hope. We have no hope of producing anything that will last through eternity, that will bring glory to your name. And yet it is our desire to work through our salvation with fear and trembling, to obey tenaciously, to believe, and to fix our eyes on you. Forgive us for faltering, Forgive us for our many failures. And may we be your ambassadors of the gospel while we remain here. In Jesus' name, amen.